This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Coast to Coast podcast from InsideCarolina.com brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity. Coming right at you. I am Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, the two guys that you are here to hear from here on InsideCarolina.com. Not only are they great human beings, they give good basketball analysis, and I'm going to get I'm going to guess that both of them use both their left and right turn signal indicators at all times because they're just upstanding human beings. Gentlemen, there's quite a few things to talk about tonight uh, as we record this. North Carolina coming off a week that they split again. Though this time, I think they might have, you know, fooled a couple of folks that listen to this show, at least, in that they dropped a home game to Clemson, uh, and they won a game uh, at Miami on the road. Both games saw North Carolina with some uh, subpar execution down the stretch. So I think that's where I want to start. Uh, Sherelle, are we at the place in the season where late-game execution when we've seen it a couple of times, it's starting to become something that that might make you afraid of what UNC's ceiling may be or or the way they may finish the season. Uh, not quite yet. It, it is something that needs to get worked on. But again, it's a long season, man. And I think in this particular game against Miami, Hubert Davis, what maybe the under four, dialed up a perfect play to get Harrison Ingram a wide open three in the corner. And sometimes it just, you know, it rims out. I mean, it was perfect. His form looked good. It went in and came out. That probably ends the game if he makes that and never gets to where it got. So, yes, they probably go to stall ball. And I'll let Sean, because I, I stole his point. But they go to stall ball maybe a, a couple of minutes early. Uh, but I do think Hubert Davis is drawing up plays to make them successful in that situation. Sometimes they're just not exactly always hitting the shot. But overall, uh, you know, it's something Carolina struggled with, to be honest, for years. I mean, this predates, you know, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, um, even the Kobe White team, as good as it was, there were times where you're just kind of wondering what what exactly is the play call here? Uh, what exactly are you trying to achieve? You know, you, you wait until eight seconds left, you call for a pick, and then you, you know, you go ISO. And that that's happened some, but I think there's a lot more sets. There's a lot more play calls from Hero Davis, and I think it's just a matter of whether or not the shot goes in. Because, again, if that Ingram three goes in, you know, everything has changed. Now, what what does need to improve in those situations is the turnovers. I mean, R.J. Davis had a chance to just, uh, instead of going three-on-one or one-on-three, he had a chance to just dribble it out, regroup, maybe call a timeout, burn a next, uh, another 30 seconds. But <clears throat> he tried to go to the basket, turn it over, they immediately scored. So those kind of plays I don't think are necessarily – um, uh, you know, just for the end of the game. I think they happen throughout the game. And this need to be a little bit stronger in some of the decision-making. Uh, but I don't think it's endemic to just the end of the game. 
I think it's also important to remember too, even off of the three that they that they they squared up for Harrison Ingram that he missed, they got a tap back off of that too, uh, and still weren't able to to capitalize. Which you appreciate that they were able to run some clock there, but you'd love to have seen them get a bucket sometime. Sean, I don't remember this for sure, but I think from about the three and a half minute mark, I think North Carolina got a dunk off of Baycott off a great pass, and then didn't get a field goal again for the rest of the ball game is is that the way you remember it or do you feel like um am i am i cheating there a little bit i think i mean it was really the the cadeau layup uh right right around the four minute mark to get it to the the nine points and then to to shrill's point they did dial up a a beautiful play call uh, out of the timeout wide open um and to your point joey got the rebound i remember looking at the clock and saying when they got when they got the rebound and pushed it out to work some clock and said, "Hey, that's that's great. They're working another twenty seconds, but it's still, uh, you know, three three and a half, uh, you know, high high twos to go." Um, and is it, it gave me a pause for concern. And then all of a sudden, you know, once you go to stall ball, you do need to hit one of those first two possessions, or that momentum can shift real quick and things can get tight because now you're definitely just going to continue to try to work clock and uh, those shots get tougher and tougher, you know, add in a, a turnover or two. So um, I think we've, we've discussed this on the past, but um, it, I, I think when, when you change your style of play, obviously it makes sense to, to work clock uh, at, at times, but at the same time, when you're, when you're losing some aggressiveness and forcing up poor shots, especially uh, when, when you add in a few turnovers and, you know, it was, UNC was lucky to to walk walk out of Miami uh, with a win with with how they finished the last few minutes. Yeah, it's crazy looking at the stats from the game. You know, North Carolina did hit eleven threes, which I think was was more than they've hit for a while. Um, they had sixteen turnovers after being fairly decent with the ball in the first half. Uh, you could say Miami that led to Miami getting twenty two points off, which you you definitely don't like to see. They North Carolina did win the rebounding. Uh, advantage, but going back and and looking, Armando Bacot had ten and fifteen, uh, and what I think may have been a ghost foul, which disqualified him uh, in the last minute. Why would North Carolina against uh, North Shadow Muir not run the offense through Bacot? I mean, he's he's become uh, the Bacot of old the last two games, uh, and Omir, thanks to our guy Trevor Marks, sent me a sent me a listing like Omir ranks in like the bottom six percent of America on. Uh, one-on-one defense. You know, he's allowing like a really, really high uh, opponent's offensive efficiency. So, Sean, why would you think North Carolina wouldn't try to run uh, a little more offense through Baycott, especially when uh, you know you saw first half where he only had I think three field goal attempts? Well, that's a that's a pretty good good stat for for Amir, and, and not not for Amir, but about about Amir. But I would say for me going into the game was. Not not really thinking Baycott would be would be the Baycott of last week. Um, I think similar to you know the quote unquote Florida State length or or other length that we've seen. Um, I thought last year he he did struggle with Omir's strength. Um, so I, I thought that would be be an issue going into it. And and sure enough, I thought it was early on. It was obviously really important to get the three fouls because that then did open it up. And UNC was smart enough to go to Baycott. And he got those four four quick points going against somebody that definitely wasn't ready to to guard him in the post. But the only thing I would have changed was, hey, you know, could you have tried to get that fourth foul on on Omir, um, you know, when he when he came back in? But well, I guess he has ranked subpar in terms of one on one defense. I know Baycott struggled with that type of strength that he does does possess. So it, it wasn't a a big surprise to me. It was just nice to see them go to him back to back when he did have that advantage, and for him to for him to uh, get the most the best out of both those possessions. Yeah, I agree with Sean. It, it's kind of uh, you remember Rocky Four when Drago is is going up against Rocky, and Rocky's taking all kinds of punishment. And he's like, he's not human. He's iron. That's kind of how I think Omir is a, a little bit. Like he's six six. He doesn't look particularly impressive, but the dude is just super super strong and there's a reason that as soon as he came out of the game to sean's point the carolina went to baycott back to back to back and i think it's because one they they knew he was out and there was no one else that uh miami had who could offer really any resistance but two i think baycott felt comfortable with omir out i I don't know how comfortable he he felt putting his back into him and, and trying to go over his shoulder so 
Well, yeah, he might be uh, not the best, uh, at, you know, uh, post defense one on one. I think for whatever reason, he I don't want to say in Armando's head, but it was a situation that Armando didn't feel like he could really take advantage of. And um, that's OK. That, that's fine. Um, I, I think <clears throat> to segue the conversation a little bit and I don't mean to take your job, Joey, but it, it was glaring that I think UNC took 21 or 22 threes in the first half. Uh, it was kind of like they got really excited after RJ hit a couple. Ingram hit one. Uh, I think uh, Cormac hit one. They had five or six that you know in the first ten minutes, and they really kind of fell in love with it. And it seemed to almost be—I'll uh, let Sean or Joe, if you want to answer—it seemed to be Miami strategy a little bit because they were coming with a double on Baycott, and it was like, well, if Cormac Ryan or Elliot Cadeau can beat you, then then so be it. Uh, so I, I was curious what y'all thought about that because it, it is obvious now that even though we may feel like or um, the folks who follow Carolina may feel like that Armando Baycott is kind of the number two guy offensively. Uh, you know what I said about uh, Leonard Hamilton about maybe he had an old scout. It seems like everybody has the same scout that you have to stop Armando. So just curious your, y'all's thoughts on that uh, about Miami's you know defensive game plan. I would surmise that it's likely you know just the old the old coach adage of I would rather have a guy shoot you know. 10 to 12 footers all the way out than to give a 6'10 guy, you know, a point blank range basket, which is usually what's going to happen if Baycott gets the ball and he's able to establish position in the paint. Um, I just, I, I know UNC has struggled at times with making post entry passes. And we saw that again today. And I think a lot of that was due to Miami's athleticism. Um, But it's, it's just, it's, it's weird to see North Carolina not feeding Armando Baycott when, uh, you know, when you saw him get uh, Amir in foul trouble, Sean, what's what, what's your what's your angle on that? Well, going going back to Sherrill's point, I, I, that was for me an an area in the game where UNC had come out the aggressor, um, always much easier playing from on top versus fight, you know trying to fight back like we we saw against Clemson pretty much the in, the entire entire game. Uh, but they were up in that six to eight point range, Ingram had a, had a three, could have kicked it to 11 instead of, you know, he, he missed it. They scored a basket. And then I think that's, you know, Wojcik had his two, uh, Armando had one, Zayden ha- had one. So it, it wasn't RJ um, shooting them or, or even Cormac wide open, taking his time. So I, I think the teams would, would love, you know, for those guys to be, to be taking them. Um, but, you know, I, I think that was, that did give Miami a chance to get back in it. Uh, long rebounds, getting getting a little looser in terms of UNC's defense, and then we saw what happened with with uh, where the game was at, at at halftime. So, you know, I I did to Sherrill's point, I did think they got a little too loose. Obviously, always love seeing them make eight threes. I think this was the highest number that they hit in ACC play uh, at a high percentage. But that first half, that last probably eight minutes, it, it was probably a little little too much in terms of who was shooting. Yeah, I mean, they were at, at one point with, I think, probably eight minutes to go uh, in the first half. North Carolina was shooting somewhere around like 60%. It was gaudy. And then by the end of the half, they were some, somewhere down around like 30. Um, to Shrell's point, they took uh, 19 threes in the first half, uh, which is not, you know, maybe that is taking what the defense gives you rather than taking what, as Hubert Davis says, taking what they want. Um, Shrell, I, I think one of the things a lot of folks have pointed out, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's easy to see that this team is better when they're making three-pointers. You know, you've got Sean's magic number of eight. Um, but when you see you know, a guy like Cormac Ryan, who's still shooting, um, who's still below 30% on the season from three, he got two of his five against Miami. Um, it, maybe that's negated because Elliot Cadeau was able to hit a couple for the first time in, in the calendar year. Is this a little bit of just the team hitting the wall, or do you think it's Cormac Ryan being in his own head, or is it teams gaming against him? Because I, I think you have to keep letting him shoot. Right, the old adage of shoot or shoot, you've got to let him shoot through it. You've got to let him shoot out of it. And we've seen to hit a couple in these last couple of games. Uh, do you think it's just maybe he's, he's hit a mental wall with this level of competition, or do you think it's something else going on there? Or is it just you know shooters just in a slump? Yeah, I think the real question is: Is he a shooter? I think that's what we have to go back to. We all labeled him that coming in, and we, we saw some of the numbers and especially some of the performances he had against UNC. 
everybody's seen that game against, uh, I guess it was Alabama in the NCAA tournament where he was just on fire. We saw the 41% his junior year and kind of ignored, you know, the 33% here or the 34% there or the 30% here. And it's just, maybe it's a situation where this is kind of what he is. Uh, obviously, anybody can get hot. Uh, there are players in the past who have taken off in the last 10 games and, and really uh, shown out in the tournament, so to speak. But uh, we have a pretty big body of evidence now that says this, he's just kind of the shooter. I think the reason he's still getting the minutes he, he's getting is because of that hope and maybe, you know, hope isn't a strategy, but I think that's where they're at is that, you know, he, you've seen him do it a few times and that maybe if you just let him keep shooting that eventually he'll get hot. And it's something they tried with Caleb Love last year. It was just like, let him shoot, let him shoot. Eventually, eventually it'll come through. And it just never really did. Uh, so I, I think for him it's a situation where uh, just take your time, try to make those, uh, you know, two or five, they'll, they'll take that all day. If you can make two of five, two of six, two of seven, they'll live with that. I, I, it's funny because you're looking at the stat lines, 18 points, seven of 14 from the field, two of six from three. That's what you get from Elliot Cadeau. That's kind of what you're expecting from Cormac Ryan entering the season. Not every game, obviously, but you would, you would like to have that, you know, every fifth or sixth or seventh game or something like that. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's, this is just what he is. This is, this is who he is this particular year. And it's up to the UNC staff and it's up to Cormac to figure out a way to either get out of the rut or if you're not going to be able to get out of the rut, then figure out other ways to contribute. And I think to some degree he's doing that. I mean, you know, he he broke up uh, what would potentially would have been the game tying layup there at the end yep. Uh, yep. against. Uh, I can't remember who it was against. Uh, he had a block to, to seal a win for UNC. I, I guess it was against Duke when after the whole shenanigans with the hook and hold and all that stuff he got a pretty key block to to kind of seal the win so he is doing things to help winning but the thing that they need him to do most to help winning he's not able to do right now so i think that they just all have to go reset recalibrate and figure out how to get him going for the, the final stretch sean i'd actually like to see cormac ryan now you know attacking the basket a lot of times you see uh players when they can't shoot or when they can't hit shots uh, try to get something a little closer just to see the ball go through the net. Do you feel like that would help him in this situation? Yeah, def definitely. I, I think he's always been comfortable. Um, the pull-up jump shot, you know, what two, one to three dribbles um, where, where he's pulling up. And that's what we did see a little bit earlier, especially when he wasn't shooting well and him being able to get to that, get to that spot where when he pulls up from 17 feet, it, it feels pretty much automatic, um, even though it, Percentage-wise, it's it's not, but I think he's still done pretty, pretty well. Um, this game, you know, he, he hit those the two threes. I thought the second one he hit was was huge in, in the second half because they were up uh, down or UNC was down four. The the crowd was into it. Miami was was playing well, and and that that was a big shot just to keep it keep it within one before things started to to slow down and, and UNC took control. So that was huge, but you saw zero for one from the, from two point and, and would love to see him, him just attack a little bit more, whether it is, is a pull up or try to get to the basket. Uh, I don't think he had any rebounds. So would like to see him, even if he's not hitting, you know, three, four, three as a game that he's making impacts offensively on, on um, other, other areas. But I think over his, he's been in college for a long time. He's had over 700 threes. Uh, he's a 34% career three-point shooter. So I know going into the season, I was hoping he could be in that upper echelon of the 38-plus percentage, almost like his his junior year. But if we get 34%, I think uh, we'd all be all be happy with that. But, and last thing, I mean, if if you take him out or he's not playing, especially with Trimble on the bench, uh, it gets, it's pretty, pretty slim. So, um, you know, not, not really any long-term options besides perhaps Paxson for, for a few minutes. Yeah, and I think Tar Heel fans have to be grateful for what they've gotten out of Paxson Wojcik these last two games. Uh, granted, he didn't score against Miami, but he uh, he did have three rebounds and, and played some decent defense uh, in, in situations where they needed it because you know the rest of the bench was just kind of MIA with Trimble being, being out again for the second game. Sean, in the first half, uh, Nigel Pack and Norshad O'Meara for Miami basically had what they wanted. They got 34 points, I think, combined. Uh, the second half, 
you know, it was it was obvious there was a little more focus there. Um, Hubert Davis addressed it in the post game from the Miami game, uh, but North Carolina was able to limit them to six points total on the second half from those same two players. Is this another example of UNC changing their defense in the second half? Because I didn't see what they did schematically that was any different against those two guys. Uh, I knew they were trying to do some trapping uh, around the perimeter with Baycott to start the second half. Do you think it was that? Do you think it was a, a you know the fact that North Carolina schemed a little differently, and maybe Miami's you know Miami's big dogs got a little winded, uh, or do you think it was a combination of both? What what to what do you attribute those guys not being able to get what they wanted in the second half, and obviously changing the fates for Miami a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, I I love what UNC did in in the second half. Uh, going in, as you said, those guys had 34, 34 points together, which is pretty much what they scored as an entire team the whole game against UVA just a few days, a few days earlier. But right off the bat, you you saw them trapping uh, Nigel when when he tried to use the, the pick and roll and that first possession. Uh, it, it looked like the UNC of old, a few scrambles and Matthew Cleveland uh, wide open drains it and and you're just saying, oh man, oh man, this is this isn't going to be good, but they, they kept at it and they, they were able to funnel the ball away from, from those two guys. It made it tougher for them. Uh, started to put the pressure on, on the other Miami players that, that uh, struggled to live up to that, which I think we've seen, you know, when you were mentioning the focus on Armando or, or RJ, what teams are trying to do to UNC. So, you know, and, and during that stretch, the Miami guys weren't able to live up to what, Nigel and Omir were were doing in the first half, and it allowed UNC to to take the lead. So, I really had flashbacks to the Villanova game where they didn't change up the strategy, and it was just the, the, you know these guys, especially um, why, why am I blanking on uh, Biggie Eric Dixon? Uh, you know he was just able to to kill them. So it was nice to see them adapt. See them, hey, all right, you, you two aren't going to beat us. Uh, obviously, Nigel had then tweaked his ankle a little bit, but by the time they got their mojo back. It was a little bit, a little bit too late. So I thought it was a great defensive adjustment in, in the second half. And it really did make the others uh, force them to, to beat UNC, which luckily they were not able to do. Omer was, was working really hard too, offensively. Like he was getting, he was getting his stuff, but it, it was, you know, two dribbles, go into a Baycott, spin off a Baycott, two dribbles, go into Baycott, spin through Withers, go around, uh, Washington, you know, face the double team, coming out of the double team. So I, I do think there's something to be said for him being, you know, perhaps a little bit winded. But also, Armando Bacot was like a beast in the second half defensively. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, two weeks ago, and this is not like, you know, gotcha radio or whatever, but two weeks ago it was like, what's wrong with Armando? You know, why is he so lethargic? What's the deal? What's going on? And it was like, well, his defense is still – strong he's still playing really good yeah. defense everybody yeah. goes back to the Georgia Tech game uh just because of what the broadcasters were saying like oh they they put Armando in pick and rolls and he can't do anything it was like the kid made a tough shot yes you know some of the drop coverage stuff it it wasn't the finest game but it wasn't like he was being overall uh poor defensively I, I'd argue that you know from game one to now he's been the team's best defender just because of the way he's really improved um on switches on, on handling guards I mean the the Again, another crucial play of this game. UNC's up three. Miami has the ball. Uh, Pack, who has hit everything pretty much the whole night, despite his injury, gets switched off to Baycott, and he Baycott forces him to launch a, what was it, 28 feet? Just an awful shot uh, to try and tie the game. Uh, Baycott had the block on the inbounds play uh, that got Carolina the ball that allowed them to shoot the free throw to go up by three. Um, really good defense on, like we said, on uh, – you know, really the whole team uh, in the second half on Saturday. So I, I really am impressed with the way Armando Baycott has, um, I don't want to say improved because his defense has been good, but the way he's really stepped up the last three games. Um, we say it all the time, Joey, and I don't mean to be repetitive. And I know people are like, here we go, Sherelle with his talking points again. But the finality of a college career, man, the finality of anything changes how you do stuff. It changes how you work. Absolutely. It changes how you play. And, you know, for Baker, he's like, I've got seven ACC games left, regular season ACC games left. You're starting to feel it. And I think every year around this time, we see where those guys whose careers are, are, are coming to an end, 
start to raise their level just a little bit. And I think that's what's happening with Baycott because, I mean, once that second half kicked in, I mean, he was the best player on the floor for the majority of it. And and it was the same way against Clemson. I think he and P.J. Hall were just going at each other where if you were just watching that, that was really a sight to behold despite North Carolina's uh, subpar performance in the first half against Clemson. Um, I, I would even go as far to say, and Shrill, I'm okay if you want to play Gotcha Radio, but um, it, I would almost go as far to say that Armando Baycott has been giving this team what they need when they need it. Now, there's been some games where his offensive production has been down, but absolutely he has, uh, he has improved his ability to, to uh, increase his efficiency on the defensive end and become more of a presence where, you know, despite not having amazing athleticism when you think about a rim protector, he's become a little bit of that and got the vital block at the end of the game against Miami that, that may could have sealed the game as well. Now, go ahead. Now that said, that final play, like it's not a smart play. Just you're up for just, just yeah. stay away from him. You don't even, yep. don't even need to be near him. Just stay away from him. But uh, I, I mean, overall, man, I, I'm not sure what else he can do defensively because you see, you see how much he's needed. Let's put it that way um, on the defensive end, the, how things change when he's not in the game. So, um, that could be a, a reason maybe his offense for a part of the season wasn't what it was because the dude is, is really working defensively. And I think it, I it think should that's be fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about, one of the reasons I think people listening to this show right now should be absolutely thrilled is because North Carolina basketball is back. Do you know how I know North Carolina basketball is back? Because people are mad online after a win. That's that's a type of thing that you have not seen in quite some time, uh, and especially after you know, North Carolina struggling in a lot of situations like they found themselves in against um, against Miami. Um, it, you know, it's, everybody is still uh, throwing out whatever barbs they have. I get it. Fans are going to fan. Sherelle, I do want to ask a little bit. Do you feel that uh, when you see the poor shooting effort in the first half against Clemson where they just came out so – uh, distracted and and looking disinterested, uh, and combine that with the the fumbling around against Miami, which thankfully they were able to get together enough to win. Uh, and you have to recognize that and a- a- acknowledge they did just enough to win. Is there anything here that that not necessarily? Um, and I'm not asking you the same thing I asked you earlier about how does this affect their long term uh, prospects, but is there anything here that you feel like is starting to become? I, I don't know, but it's too much of a wart for, for opposing teams. I mean, they've got, when you look at the stretch they've got coming up, they're going to have to go to, uh, have to go to Virginia. I believe they've got to go at Syracuse on Tuesday. Uh, they play the same Miami team again. They've got to go at Cameron. Uh, it, there are some potential for, for teams to be able to, to, you know, to pop up on them again and maybe exploit when North Carolina has a bad night. Have you seen anything in this last little stretch that you feel like is a long-term cause for concern? Is it just that, Teams are just having a bad night sometimes. I would say nothing more than we already knew. I think what we're seeing play out is that a basketball season is very long and that during said basketball season, you're going to get almost every kind of result possible. You're going to beat, you know, probably a top 10 or a top five team. You're going to lose to a team you shouldn't lose to. You're going to blow out a team that you thought you were going to beat by four or five. You're also going to lose to a team that you thought you were going to blow out like it. It happens over the course of a season. And I think that's a little bit um, of what you're seeing now with, with Carolina. What I would say is that this team so far is constructed. Every time there's been some form of question about what's next, they've had a pretty good answer. So go back to Villanova. Uh, it was, well, you know, Arkansas, man, they're tough and they're athletic. Can they beat them without Cormac Ryan? They did. Then it was Tennessee. They really need that quad one win because Tennessee's a great team. Are they going to be able to score against them? They won that game. Validated that by beating Florida State. Lose to Kentucky and UConn. Can can they be a successful team? Can they play defense? They play great defense for over a month. Then it's losing Georgia Tech. Can you respond against Duke? They beat Duke, you know, convincingly, never trailing in the game. Then they come out flat against Clemson, and then it's, oh, man, toughest game on the schedule at Miami. Without Seth Trimble, again, you know, your sixth man, can you go down there and get a win? And they go down there and get a win. It doesn't look good. It's not a game we ever want to watch again. Um, But so far, every time there's been a real question about them, they've had an answer. So I would say, or I would posit that long-term, 
the one thing you do know about this team is that they're going to respond. Now you have to keep responding. You have to validate the last one every single time because if not, it, it reverts to whatever the last thing was. So the next time they lose a game, it'll go back to Clemson and say, oh, the, the warning signs were there with Clemson, which is, is fair. And it's not, I don't think that's people like looking for negativity, but at the same time, you have to just look at it over the course of the season and not just what's happening over the last couple of weeks. Um, there are some things that I, I think need to to improve, but the good thing is that these warts, if you want to call them that, are showing themselves now as opposed to three weeks from now when you know, you're in the ACC tournament and then you're in one and done. Uh, so I, I think it's just a natural course of a season where there's ups and downs, there's lows, there's peaks and there's valleys. Uh, so we'll see what happens, you know, on Tuesday. A again, everything everything I just said will be invalidated or validated uh, against Syracuse, and then if you, whatever if you happens, lose the Syracuse, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then whatever happens against Syracuse when they play, I guess they play Virginia Tech. Whatever happened against Syracuse will be invalidated or validated against Syracuse, and then uh, Virginia Tech, and then uh, on and on and on it goes against Virginia and, and so on and so forth. I think that's kind of where things are with this particular team. Because of again, the scar tissue of the last couple of years, people just can't quite fully buy yeah. in, and I understand it. I don't. I don't think they're wrong about that at all. Um. So something I, w I would actually follow up Sherelle with uh, before I, I throw something to Sean. Um. I I do think that it's a lot more fulfilling and satisfying if you can not look at each game uh, through your fan lens. To everybody listening, I want to challenge you you can be a fan, but just try not to look at every game as like a single um, one-off referendum on an entire season. Like look at the game as a whole, look at the game as just one game, look at it as part of a whole, excuse me. Uh, and, and then, you know, if you want to see things you think can get fixed, great. But if you look at every single game in a vacuum and like Dean Smith said, if you, you know, you live and die by every win and loss, then, you know, you're going to die a lot. And I don't think any of us want that. Sean, uh, looking at some of the the positive trends, I think Sherell picks up on a second, you know, uh, picked up on a second ago. I do see a team that's got some resiliency. Uh, do you feel like that might be something again? Since we've seen it, even the loss to Clemson, they were getting handled earlier and came back and, and actually, you know, came clear uh, towards the end of the game to where you know they they could have potentially pulled that out. They couldn't quite get over being tied, but. I saw a team, too, that wasn't just going to lay down, and that was something that fans of this this program were not able to say last year. Do you feel like that's a cause for optimism, and it's just this team just has some dog in it and refuses to to lay down for anybody? Yeah, I think that that is who this team is in terms of how, how it was constructed in the offseason, once again, between RJ and Armando, and then they added the great pieces just from both on the court uh, as well as more off the court, that fire from from Ingram and and Cormac Ryan and I mean even even Cadeau who came in came in late and just trying to to fit in you saw him a lot once again you're only seeing what you're seeing on TV versus being in the practices and, and being around the team but from the TV perspective you didn't you saw him more listening <laughs> and you know for this game against Miami you saw him coming out of the timeout and saying box the f out box the f out and and almost being the alpha on on that team where Ingram has been been it all year, so I think uh, you know it, it. They they get along, they play together, and even if they go on runs or lose a game, they're going to get it together, which they've shown. Uh, but obviously, once you get to to March, every game stands on its own, and um, you know they have to. There's still a work in progress, I think, both offensively and defensively. You've seen the potential on both sides. You've seen how well they've played at home against a Tennessee or Duke, but it's not always clicking or it's clicking for 60% or 70%. So I think there's, there's definite ways to improve, but at the same time, you look at it 11 and two in the ACC and that's fantastic. So I think at this point in time, um, obviously the Georgia tech losses and Clemson losses, you think they should not have had those, but at the same time, looking at the holistic picture, 11 and two, uh, but it does, we have talked about this last stretch with Notre Dame really being the one game you feel ideally good about counting as a, as a win, which I know I always hate to do, but everything's going to be tough from, from here on out, especially with just a one game, one game lead in the, in the conference. 
you know, I mentioned resiliency a second ago and that being uh, something that, you know, fans can potentially hang their hat on with this this team. When you think about resiliency within the context of North Carolina, you should probably think about Johnny T-Shirt um, because they've been around for, you know, 20 plus years. Uh, they've been on East Franklin Street and Chapel Hill providing you with the best gear, the best selection, the best prices, all the stuff that a UNC fan wants, all the stuff that anybody listening or watching this show would appreciate. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't look to Johnny T-Shirt as a model of resiliency. Uh, go to johnnytshirt.com if you don't want to visit them uh, in person. I understand some people just like to, to to shop online. I get it. They can help you with that. Uh, go to johnnytshirt.com. The folks who are premium subscribers to Inside Carolina have probably already taken advantage of their 10% off. But if you're not a premium subscriber, maybe you joined on that 75 uh, percent off, you know, flash sale that that Scout had last week to become a premium member. You can now use that ten percent off. Get the code off the premium message boards. We love, 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 love Johnny T-shirt. Valentine's Day is coming up. Get the love of your life something from Johnny T. You'll be glad you did. They'll be glad you did. You'll be the hero in your house for any heels fan that you know. We're gonna let the national guys run some of their ads real quick. We'll be right back. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what might be Elliot Cadeau's best game so far as a Tar Heel. And then we'll start looking into a little bit of recruiting stuff before we put a, a bow on the show for this episode of the Coast Coast Podcast. Thanks for sticking around. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, guys, I'm glad you're here. As always, Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran, uh, the two voices that you have come to know and love. Gosh knows I sure do. Uh, Sherelle, I'm going to come to you first. Elliot Cadeau had what probably was uh, his best game uh, in a Tar Heel uniform uh, against Miami. And, and I think it's, you know, for all the issues that he's had with foul trouble and, and some issues there, um, we saw Elliot Cadeau really do well managing his, um, managing his fouls, playing decent defense against Miami, against a team where he had to, because again, North Carolina was going to be without Seth Trimble. Uh, Elliot Cadeau, in 35 minutes, which I think might be the most he's played this year, he had 19 points, eight assists, three rebounds, and probably four or five steals. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was somewhere around there. Uh, Sherelle McMillan, your absolute naked, immediate reaction about Elliot Cadeau against Miami. Yeah, he had four steals to, to go with that. I would say... I'm not quite sure it was his best game. I think it was his, obviously his best scoring game. And he hit two really important threes. Um, it, they weren't just random shots that came, you know, when it was a four-point game or eight-point game. They're, Carolina needed him when he hit him to either stretch out a lead or to just prove to Miami that he could shoot him so they wouldn't back off of him so much. I think um, 
<clears throat> the turnovers were, were sometimes a, a little much. It, there were times where he would drive into the lane against three guys or, or throw, you know, a pass in, into triple, quadruple coverage. That's the kind of stuff that has to get cleaned up. But when you have four steals, in my own little, you know, small brain, five turnovers and four steals mean you had one turnover. You're you're, you're negative one. That's how I look at it. All right. Had, I see you. I see had, you working. The math yeah, checks out. Yeah. Then he had the eight assists. But I think more than anything, it was a confidence game for him uh, to show that he can play on this stage. Miami's a team with great guards. That's what they're known for. Um, that's what they do best is, you know, guys defensively, they put you in ball screens, and they run you around. And so you can't really run anymore. And for him to have one foul after the way he's struggled at times defensively, I think shows growth. And then um, again, he he kind of made up for what they were missing with Seth as far as uh, the offensive side with you know a couple of the layups. He's his th- free throw shooting has improved, and then he hit a couple of threes. So uh, again, this team and, and Cadeau's performance today is just another example. Is that when someone is missing or someone isn't there, there's usually somebody who who picks it up. And it might not be what you expect. Like back in uh, the Arkansas Arkansas game, all the way back in November, when Cormac Ryan wasn't there, and we still thought of him as you know really a plus shooter, it was like, well, what is Carolina going to do for outside shooting? And I believe Trimble hit two threes. Um, and there's examples of that going on throughout the season. Cadeau did it again today. Uh, made a couple of just really stellar passes. Uh, just impressed with his growth. And I think again, you can see how the ceiling for North Carolina and the floor are both raised when, when he's playing so well on both sides. One of the threes that he took, both uh, a couple of them that he took looked like, you're really not going to guard me. You're really going to make me do this. And I think the second one that he actually made had a little bit of um, blank you to it uh, when it when it kind of left his hand. Sean, we've spoken about it before, but you saw Elliot Cadeau when he was playing for Link, when he was playing on the AAU circuit. This is a kid that the mechanics seem fine. His shot is is actually okay. I mean, is it just a matter of him finally just having the, the lid come off the, the rim for him? There's always been concern about his shot. I think his, his numbers in AAU play and in high school were, were good from three, but you did see more of the set shot and the slower release and, and how how he had done you know prior prior to Link. And there was that concern, which has always been expressed about his shooting. But to, to Sherell's point, I think so much of it is is mental, especially when you might be only taking one three a game. Now teams are starting to sag off and and just letting letting you shoot. Uh, and, and I think just from a mental standpoint, seeing the ball go into the basket just can do so much for for a player and give you that confidence. So being able to probably hit that first one was was a gigantic weight coming off of his shoulders. I think. Uh, there's probably one three that that was maybe a little too quick in the shot clock. Try to try to get something else, but once again, not expecting him to turn into a 40% three point shooter the re- the rest of the season. But if he can have that confidence, uh, just to make make people pay with one or two a game, um, with being that wide open, I, I think will be will be huge. You saw what what UNC UNC did to get it to that 72 63 of bringing everybody up out of the paint. It, uh, it allowed uh, Cadeau just to get that. All he needed was that, you know, one second to turn the corner and boom, that that unstoppable right-hand drive that he's been been so good at. So the five turnovers, some were, were a little careless. And I, I think even on defensively, there were times where he was mentally taking a, taking a break for, for a few quick seconds. But all in all, to, to Sherelle's point, what is, what is the ceiling of this UNC team? He is the biggest determinant of that. And I think you're still starting to see each game is going to be a little different, uh, but you're, you're continuing to see his growth and him get more comfortable on, on both sides of the ball. So if you can clean up those turnovers a little bit, but still have that aggressiveness, both from a, a passing and scoring perspective, you know, I, I think that that is what is going to get UNC to where, where they can ultimately get. And, we've all seen how hard the kid is on himself. Uh, there were times when he's picked up fouls and he goes to the bench and he's just, he's livid at himself. He's intense. He's, he's angry. Um, so you know that he's in the gym, you know, kind of putting in the work and what we were saying before about the resiliency of the team, just look at Cadeau Tuesday night. I, I mean, I think we can all say he was not good. I think he would say right. that the coaching staff would agree. I think yeah. they all would say he didn't perform well at all. And so, you know, what happens four days later, he comes out and, 
again, has the best offensive performance, you know, of his career. So I think it says a lot that, you know, mentally how, how strong this team is that they're able to kind of, uh, when the situation goes one way, they don't let it drag them into the gutter. They kind of fight their way out of it. Um, and I, that's, a, that's a big key that you want uh, on your team, but especially uh, from your point guard. And then the other thing, we talked about free throws with him. You know, there was a stretch where he was missing four or five free throws yeah. per game. And yeah. that, has, that has slowly but surely gotten better. It, it hasn't gotten better in a straight line, but it's gotten better as the season has gone along. So uh, just, you know, good to see from him. And then the other thing, people always complain when we do interviews with recruits where they say, Hubert Davis gives his guards the freedom to do whatever they want. And, you know, I love it. Freedom, freedom, freedom. That's I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Please go. Yes. Yeah, we've heard that from so many guards over the years. But you when you have a chance to play out of stuff, which it probably is what's happening with Cormac Ryan, when you have a chance to play out of of funks and have a chance to to keep playing and keep improving, that instills so much confidence in a player from the coaching staff that they're going to do whatever Hebrew Davis wants them to do because he's so positive and he's always like, I, I believe in you. You're going to make the next shot. Whether or not, you know, whether or not that's actually true as far as making the next shot, like Hubert Davis believes it. He really believes it. He's, he's that type of person. And it's hard not to, to do whatever is possible to, to make that person happy when they believe in you so much. And I think that is, that's kind of the manifestation of, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to talk recruiting, of uh, all those guys saying Hubert Davis gives his guys freedom. It's not as much freedom, I, I would guess, as it is confidence. And freedom is just kind of the buzzword that they use, but you, you see it on the court and you've seen it in the season with Cadet. And I, I love that you brought that up and compared that with the situation that Cormac Ryan's going through. I mean, I, I would say, you know, for all the people that are, um, you know, in my timeline and everywhere else, just ripping Cormac Ryan for how much he shoot, you, you can't let a shooter stop shooting. That can't happen because then not only does he stay on that bad number or whatever it is, then he's lost the ability to affect your offense at all. You want him to keep shooting, and eventually they will come around. I mean, eventually water will find its level. To your point, Sherell, about what is Cormac Ryan really, I, I think that that might be worth examining. I think that's probably a valid argument. But also, you, know, you, you don't want a guy shooting 30 a game, but you can't have him to where he's afraid to pull. Uh, right. Because then, because then he's handicapping your entire offense. Right. And so what he needs to do, because they've said all season, Cormac's more than a shooter. That's what we heard yep. from Hewitt Davis. That's what we heard from Ryan. So he has multiple to find a times, way multiple, multiple times, times addressing Cormac Ryan questions. Right. Yes. Right. So he has to find a way to be more than just someone who goes to the three point line and takes threes when he gets a pass from Cadeau. He has to be aggressive, as you said, Joey, as Sean said, driving to the rim, going to that, you know, 15 foot uh, two dribble pull up. He's got to do those kind of things. He's got to cut better. There are ways for him to still be an effective yeah. offensive player, even shooting 29 or 28 percent from three. But he has to he has to go out and do it. And right now. I think he's he's just kind of stuck in. They need me to make shots, so I've got to make shots. And that's true. They do need him to make shots, but he can do other things too to help the team. And I have no doubt that he eventually will. But it's it's just taking I think longer than, yeah. than most of us thought. I think um, people will also you know may have forgotten Cormac's got the ability to absolutely baptize somebody and, and dunk on somebody's head. And maybe that's maybe he gets one of those in a game. You know, and just kind of breaks rips the rips the the shell off that way. Who knows? Uh, speaking of guys that can score, Sean Moran, you have actually seen uh, some action from Captain Jack, uh, Ian Jackson, the last couple of weeks. You posted some video of his, I believe, on the instant, uh, the Inside Carolina Premium Message Board recently. You want to talk a little bit about what you've seen from the UNC signee? Well, he's been he's been fantastic, especially the the last few weeks. Uh, was playing in the Metro Classic um, last weekend and recently hit a, hit a game winner. So he's been putting up not just points, but stats all across the, all across the board. And I think it goes, you know, as we look at the team for next season of who is, who is returning, but man, if it's, if it's Cadeau and, and Jackson in the, in the backcourt, yes, it'll be, be young, but I mean, that's an extremely exciting backcourt. Obviously we'll see what, what happens with RJ. Um, and if RJ is not here, I, I think, for sure, he should be the the highest score highest scoring player at UNC next season. So he's continued to improve. Um, looking forward to seeing what he does outside in the McDonald's All American and the the Jordan brand once once he's playing 
at the you know really the, the highest level of high school basketball but he's been playing extremely well on the overtime circuit this year and it's been a lot more just from scoring is what he naturally does but he's been filling the stat sheet in a lot of a lot of other ways which is good to see and i believe i shared it on twitter if anybody wants to check it out um he had some uh had quite a performance for 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 jelly fam recently is that right trail did i see that he put up some good numbers for for Jelly Fam, or am I just enamored with the opportunity to say Jelly Fam on the on the show? That that's no cap. That <laughs> a boy, way to bring that back. Um, and then also, Sherelle, uh, you did some recaps with uh, UNC's uh, visits last week for the Duke game. You know, talk a little bit about those and kind of what your what your handle on those guys were. I, I think it was uh, Jasper Johnson was going to UConn this this past weekend after being at Duke last week. Uh, not UConn, uh, UK. Uh, after being at uh, after being at UNC last week, um, do you want to share a little bit about what you were able to glean from talking to the the visitors from from the Duke game? I think the biggest thing is when you look at what the football recruits had to say, and then you also look at what the basketball recruits had to say. Uh, it really does uh, show people that this game, to quote something from the SEC, just means more because their reactions and. Um, the effusive praise of the environment and of the UNC staff in both football and basketball was just pretty, pretty revealing. Like there's been games that were just as good as that one where North Carolina's had really good recruits where they didn't quite react that way. So I think it was something about the combination of the energy in the building, how excited the players were, um, how North Carolina kind of ran the game from basically the opening tip to the end of the, to the end of it and then the cohesiveness of this particular team. So you add all that together, and college game day was there, and it, it was just a little bit different than some of the other Duke-UNC games in which we've talked to players you know, after uh, recruiting visits. Jasper Johnson, like you said, was there. He was at Kentucky this weekend. I think he probably had a better time at, at UNC considering what happened at Kentucky on Saturday and some of the things that were said to their head coach. Um, and then Caleb Wilson, also uh, was there for an official visit. Both uh, Jasper Johnson's dad, Dennis, and Caleb Wilson and his dad, Jerry Wilson, we spoke to all four of them, and they just said they had a great time. I think the biggest um, takeaway from both interviews was how authentic the UNC staff was, that they weren't trying to sell UNC. They were just showing them this is, this is, how, this is what we do, this is who we are, um, and if you come to UNC, this is what you can expect versus other programs that might try to say might try to put their best foot forward let's let's put it that way i think that was the biggest thing is that all of them said authentic some form of that several times and <clears throat> it's been three years now since Hubert davis said he wanted to coach a uh, coaching staff of all unc alums and i was one of the people that was like that's that's really limiting the pool and you're not going to get any outside ideas etc cetera, etc cetera. But every when I say every single recruit that we talk to brings that up, they bring it up. They say, "Wow, how amazing is it that all all the guys on the bench, you know, either played at Carolina, uh, went to Carolina, played in the Final Four, played in the NBA. It's just you don't see that anywhere. We we hear that over and over. So I think he kind of he hit the nail on the head on that one, and that was a big question mark for a lot of people. Um, so all in all, I think North Carolina did a great job of putting themselves in really good position with both Jasper and uh, with Caleb, especially considering that uh, Kentucky is having some struggles and, and they're having some issues that UNC's had, frankly, in the last couple of years, but is a situation where North Carolina's play on the court mixed with that authenticity that the players talked about. Uh, if there's a time when other schools are, are struggling, particularly one that might have an advantage for those two players, North Carolina's in a great opportunity to, to seize and kind of fill that void. That's all of any fans could really ask for is just to be in that situation. Sean, you've actually had a chance to see um, some of Jasper's game. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was able to post a, a short video earlier earlier this week on on Jasper. Uh, it just he had two games uh, literally right before he he went down to down in Chapel Hill. I don't think he would call it his his best games, but hopefully, he just started to see what type of player he is, which uh, it, you know, is really I know he's listed as a combo guard, but in my mind is really a, a, tr a shooting guard uh, with the ability to to handle the handle the basketball. Uh, he's a guy. I think last year when we were talking about Cadeau, we we're all hey, let's 
we hope he reclasses given what what UNC is looking for and and where he was playing at what level he was playing at but I would say Jasper I would I would hope to see him in 2025 versus 2024 um I think he definitely has some improvement areas but you know he's got a super quick release um has range and I think can be definitely a talented scorer when he does get into into college so you know we'll, we'll be happy to watch him a little bit more especially as link has a little bit of a break but we'll be playing in some big tournaments later on in in february and and early march but was yeah just able to catch up with what he's been doing uh pretty pretty recently certainly appreciate that uh insight mr moran uh speaking about insight uh, i'm gonna give you two names darren and matt Darren and Matt are the uh, founder and co-founder of Congruity. Congruity HR is a big sponsor of not only this podcast, but all the podcasts from InsideCarolina.com. Uh, Congruity HR, if you're wondering what they are, I'll get right to the point. I'm quoting them here. Their mission is to deliver HR services and support that's as unique as your business. They recognize the value and the one-of-a-kind nature that your business brings to the free market. They want to help that, all right? What these guys are looking to do is take some of the burden of PEO stuff off of your plate as a business owner, small business manager, medium-sized business manager, what have you. They want to take some of that back office stuff off of your plate so that you can focus on driving profit, whether you're looking for scalability and growth, uh, whether you're looking for you know maybe to start looking at an exit plan. These guys are going to be able to help you tighten up a lot of those other things that take a lot of your time and energy. Uh, so that you can focus on the things that matter for you and your smaller, medium-sized business. I want to invite you to go to Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Take their free business assessment. They're going to tell you just how they might be able to save your business some money and more importantly, give you back some peace of mind and take away some of that stuff that's stressing you and, and kind of zapping all of your good energy, right? Check that link out. If they can't help you, they'll say, hey, we can't help you. And worst case, even then, which I don't think that would happen, but even if it did, you've still made a connection with with two great business business people that uh, support and appreciate the Tar Heels and appreciate Inside Carolina. I don't see anything wrong with that. That feels like a uh, a win-win proposition or like my man uh, um, Marlo Stampy used to say, it sounds like one of them good problems, all right? Sherelle, in that vein, we're gonna do our two cents brought to you by Congruity. Do you have two pennies that you would like to leave with our fair audience before we get out of here this evening? Yes, and both are related to UNC's leading scorer, R.J. Davis, who we, again, have barely talked about. Uh, he had 25 points against Miami on Saturday. But uh, I am concerned. You, you asked about concerns earlier. His usage is so, so, so high right now. I am concerned a little bit about uh, his, his, him just wearing down over the course of the season. In the last six games, he's taken 97 field goal attempts. Um, which is a, a lot, <laughs> needless I'm, to say. I'm, I'm tired and exhausted listening to that. Yeah, so I, they, they've got to find a way to get his usage rate a little bit lower, and that means hopefully self-trimple is healthy and able to come back, because I do think it, towards the end of games, these last two games with Trimble out, that Davis has tired out a little bit because he's not getting that two- or three-minute break that he's able to get when Trimble um, is, is, is healthy. So Trimble getting back helps R.J. Davis, which helps the team tremendously. So that's something to look out for on Tuesday. Maybe, maybe, and I'm actually want to I want to gas you up a little bit here. You're probably right because that might be what leads to situations like him. And you mentioned earlier going one on three against Miami when he very easily probably could have pulled it out or could have easily gotten a layup. Instead, he just he had a turnover. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's an example of some of this just stellar usage rate. And to your point, you know, they do have a week off after uh, next weekend's game. So maybe that will will help in this instance. That's a great point, though. What's your what's your second penny, sir? Let Sean it, jump it, in. He looks like it, he wants to jump in. I do. I, um, sure. I'm more curious what Sherelle, your thoughts are since you brought up RJ. I mean, his two his two his two point percentage has dropped off significantly uh, the last few games, like three point wise. He's still doing great. But do, do you think it's is he just taking tougher shots because they're more focused on him or is he? Is the degree of difficulty higher? What have you What have you kind of been seeing more from his his shot selection? I, I do think they're more focused on him, and they're again the, it kind of coincides right with the sagging off of Cadeau a little bit. Uh, I, I think his if you put a chart together, you would kind of see those two numbers as they sag off Cadeau more. His two point percentage drops because 
that's an extra defender to clog everything up. And we know going all the way back to RJ's freshman year, that clogged lane when UNC was playing two bigs, when it was Baycott and Sharp and Kessler and Brooks, there was just nowhere to go. And when that fourth defender drops into the paint, you've got Baycott there, you've got uh, uh, Cadeau's defender there, you've got Davis's defender there. So you've got three guys all occupy, occupying that space. I think it's just is not as much room because teams are starting to defend UNC differently and trying to take that drive away from them. Now, to your point, he's still, uh, you know, shooting threes at a really uh, historical clip, which brings us to penny number two. Very good job, Sean. Uh, so RJ has 75 threes uh, through so far this season. Carolina has seven ACC regular season games left, one ACC tournament game left, and one in, at least one NCAA tournament game left. So nine games minimum left. And he's hitting three a game, and three times nine is 27, they tell me, which would give him 102, which would be just shy of Justin Jackson's single season record of 103. Uh, and he's had he's made 14 threes in his last three games. So I think barring injury, that's a record that's it's coming down because he's just he's kind of unconscious. You know, he's he's his three point percentage for a while hovered around 38, 39 percent. And now it's at almost 42. Uh, it looks so, like a layup. Like when he pulls up from, and when he pulls up from anywhere around the top or the top center of the key, it looks like a layup. It does. So just something to look out for uh, that, you know, he could be on the verge of uh, another UNC record. Well, you know, and it's funny you mentioned Justin Jackson. Uh, he has the uh, the Shooting It Straight podcast with John Bauman here on InsideCarolina.com. Can we officially Corey Alexander him and call him my guy since he's, since he's uh, an IC guy oh, now? He's been IC's guy since we were doing, you know, we did the journal with him back in the day when he was a high school student. He's, yeah. So, he's can, always, so he's can always we stay my guy? guy? Oh, yeah, he's okay, our, right. our, my guy, yeah. Okay, all right. Just want to make sure we can get that, that good Corey Alexander. Thank you, SM. Sean, another SM. What do you got for your two pennies tonight? First one, um, I think Sherelle's favorite words, especially last year, the energy, effort, enthusiasm. I thought you saw that early on with, with R.J. Davis and Cadeau. Really, UNC was being the aggressor in terms of getting to those loose balls and and making making the plays, especially early in the, early, <laughs> early in the first half. And I thought that was pretty pretty important, especially coming off the loss and to see them get into those loose balls, diving on the floor. Um, second, in terms of going at Syracuse, we have always talked about this team is very much of a one game, one game at a time type of team and should beat Syracuse. Clemson just did it, but uh, you know, they, they had one of their more dominant efforts against Syracuse at home. Um, they've been scoring 1.03 points per possession on the road in ACC play, which is right along the path of the last two, uh, last two games outside of Duke. So offensively has not been, not been great. They've been getting wins. They've been holding teams uh, defensively to, to low shooting percentages, but they, they definitely need offensively um, to be more consistent, uh, kind of have more of a, you're not going to get all 40, but 35, you know, 35 minutes of, of strong, strong action. And I think going up to Syracuse, it'll be interesting to see, Who's coming off the bench? How are they playing? But 1.03 points per possession definitely needs to improve on the road uh, over this last last stretch. Yeah, for sure. And I, 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 you know, I love that you're able to work in a points per possession stat in there somewhere. I, I get the feeling that's just kind of like a, a staple of of the pillow talk in the normal discussion around your household. And I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Sean, uh, one more thing I want to throw out. I know I, I touched briefly on UNC schedule. Uh, a second ago when, when Trell was talking about R.J. Davis's usage. Uh, I want to make sure I touch on this. So North Carolina's upcoming schedule, and this is this will take you through the end of the season, which is hard to you know hard to conceive, but uh, at Syracuse Tuesday night, uh, and then on Saturday, Virginia Tech at home. Uh, that'll be a 2 o'clock game. And then they have a week off. Saturday will be at Virginia and Charlottesville at 2 o'clock. Uh, UVA seems to be finding themselves recently at least defending. Um, then they have that dreaded back to back home or back to back Saturday game at UVA and then home that Monday against Miami. Uh, then they play on March the 2nd, home against NC State, March the 5th, home against Notre Dame. And then the regular season finale, uh, Saturday, March the 9th at Duke at 6 30. So that'll, that'll kind of shape out the rest of the season. Uh, Tar Heels, as we sit today, uh, splitting the week, losing at home to Clemson by four. And then beating Miami by three on the road, uh, you know, any win you can get on the road in the ACC is not a bad thing. It'll be interesting to see what they're able to do here, and then 
who knows that week off might actually uh, might actually help some guys heal up or just get some rest. Guys, I know you need some rest. Uh, you guys always bring your A game, so I'm sure you're exhausted uh, from this last little stretch here. I appreciate you being a part of the show, as always. There would be no show without you guys. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Uh, thanks to John Siegley for producing. Thanks to Inside Carolina's very special friends, Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity for sponsoring. Until next time, here on Inside Carolina, I'm just Joey Powell. We appreciate you being a part of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll talk to you next time here on the Coast to Coast Podcast. Late. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.